Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. It's good to see everybody. Are we, are we awake today? Okay, good. So, Briefly, before we get into the message today, you could be turning to Acts chapter 17. We're going to be in Acts 17 today. Uh, the very first thing that you need to know is, especially for students who have been in LFBI in previous semesters, maybe you were in D2 last year or you've taken LFBI courses, a very, very important email went out this last week about some changes that we're making to technology. Uh, we're working towards a single sign-on through MyLFBI, so that's awesome. But it's gonna give you access to the um, Office 365 suite and uh, something like a terabyte of, of cloud space. And then also uh, a portion of, the, uh, of our tech is gonna be devoted to allowing you to access transcripts at any time you need them, okay? And so we've made huge upgrades uh, to, to, to MyLFBI and our technology, but we need you to follow a few basic steps uh, to get your account and your profile to where it needs to be. And so those emails went out, and one of the things we discovered is that for a lot of people, they went into the spam folder uh, of their account. So what you'll need to do is you'll need to go into your spam folder and look for an email from Sam Miles at LFBI, and you'll need to follow the instructions in that email. And I'm saying this not because I want to waste any time, take any time out of my message to give you this announcement, because this is like the most boring announcement that I bet could ever give, except for I'm saying it because it's important. And so if you have not done that yet, I, I would say that even right now as we're getting ready to get into the sermon, go find that email and, and prepare to, to follow those steps because we need to make sure that your account is right before the semester starts. Cool? Everybody with me there? All right. Well, we are in Acts chapter 17, and I'm super excited about this chapter. It's very exciting to see where Paul and Silas and his missions team are headed. Now what we're gonna see here, I'm gonna give you a, a, a brief preview of where we're headed, and then we're gonna start dividing out this passage. Now as you can see, uh, this message is called How to Turn the World Upside Down, which is a pretty lofty claim, right? That, that in about a 45 minute period, I'm gonna tell you exactly how you can turn the world upside down. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a mouthful, that's saying a lot. And we are, I believe, with all my heart, that if we listen to God's word and we follow the prescription of our ensample Paul, and we see how he lived his life, I absolutely 100% believe that what we learn today is going to result in our lives having that kind of impact on our world. So what we're going to see today is we see Paul and Silas and the missions team, they leave Philippi, which is where we spent the majority of chapter 16, if you remember. It was kind of a rough trip, right? Um, God did some things. Satan did some things. Uh, go back, listen to the audio, okay? But there was a lot that happened in that chapter. Now, they're leaving Philippi, and they're headed towards Thessalonica. And Thessalonica is the, is the sister city of Philippi in Macedonia. It's the second big city in that part of the world. And so they're headed there. Now, when they get there, they, they go straight to the synagogue, as is what they usually do, right? We've seen them do that over and over again on these mission trips. They show up to the city, and they go to the synagogue. So Paul and, and Silas head towards the synagogue, and they preach a message, 
and per usual, the crowd is divided. There are Greeks that come to know Jesus Christ, and then there's Jews that are in opposition. There's Romans that are stirred up, and they're being convinced that they're going to they're ruin their society, and everybody gets all frustrated. And then what happens uh, is that a, a, a group of people make a very, very important claim in verse 9. And so if we can skip ahead, look down at verse 9. This is the claim they make about these men. Okay? They say, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Okay, so what they're saying is, here come those men that have ruined the world with their gospel message. That's the claim that's being made here about about these men. Now in Macedonia, the fame of these missionaries is beginning to spread abroad. But the claims that people are making, these are no light thing. That's no, that's no light accusation. People don't just say, oh, so-and-so turned the world upside down. That's not a claim that people make flippantly. You understand? I don't know if anybody has ever ascribed those attributes to you. Oh, yeah, here comes Andy, the guy that turned the world upside down. No one's ever said that about me, right? And people are making this claim that they have turned the world upside down. Their societies, as we've been speaking about in previous messages, these Roman societies, these Roman cultures, these, these pagan people, their worlds are being unsettled. They're being turned upside down because of the gospel message that these believers are taking from city to city. These guys, listen to me, these guys don't even have a missions budget. These guys don't even have a Facebook page or a website. I mean, if you think about all the things that churches and contemporary societies do, to make themselves relevant and to give themselves a platform, these guys have none of that. Paul's a tent maker. He's a dude. He's got the clothes on his back. And he's traveling and he's preaching a very simple message. And yet, and yet, what's being ascribed to him is that he's, he's ruining the lost world. You know, we've become so distracted with entertainment and pleasures of the world. We've been so impacted by the world that we are almost completely incapable of impacting it. They've neutralized us. You know that. Think about, think about your Christian faith. Think about your walk. Think about your life. Think about the things that you busy yourself with. The world has effectively neutralized the church today. Because we've fallen prey to their devices. You know, many of us think that we are, we're faithful Christians because we simply came to church today. That that makes you a faithful Christian. Or maybe you pat yourself on the back because you signed up for LFBI. Well done. Congratulations. You're going to learn some things. Be, but, but here's the thing that we have to understand is that Christians that congratulate themselves on a job well done... You know, they might feel really good about themselves, but they're not going to turn the world upside down. Christians that busy themselves with, with, with feeling good about themselves, those aren't the types of people that have the impact of Paul and Silas. So today's question is, what does it take to be the type of person that turns the world upside down? What does it take? 
May I pray again? Is that okay before we get into it? I'm going to pray real quick. And we got to pay really close attention because we're going to move really quickly through this passage, and you're going to need to take good notes. And, and more than just take good notes, you're going to have to really ask yourself hard questions about who you are and whether or not your Christianity looks like this type of Christianity. Because what we need to do is we need to use this in sample to provoke us to living a missions-minded life that for most people in this world today is going to sound incredibly radical and incredibly extreme. And we've got to be prepared to hear that. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you this morning because we know if it's up to us, we are going to dismiss this message. We're going to, we're going to hear the, the, the things that you have to tell us, and we're going to say, wow, that sounds cool, that sounds awesome, that sounds great for Paul and Silas, but how to achieve that in my own life, how to have that kind of faith, it just seems a little bit hard, and I'm going to go eat lunch now. And that's, that's the danger that we face right now in this moment. And Lord, I pray that you would impact us in such a way that we can't help but to hurt over all the ways in which we do not meet your expectations as a missions-minded Christian. All the ways that we are not conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. All the ways in which we failed to adhere to the truth of your scripture. Those things ought to prick us deep within ourselves. And Lord, we ought to be changed because of your word today. And so God, I ask that you would focus our mind and our heart and you, allow, you would allow us to truly alter our lives in such a way, in faith, that we might have an impact on this world where people would look at us and say, there's those believers, there's that Midtown Baptist Temple. Those folks have turned the world upside down. Help us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the very first thing in this prescription for how to turn the world upside down, the very th first thing that we need to have and we need to be is courageous. Is courageous. Now, now, let's look very closely at this verse. It says in verse 1, Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Now, if we don't look real careful here, we're going to miss something very, very important is the fact that Paul and Silas and this missions team decided to go to Thessalonica. It's the simple fact that they just decided to do that. These men are absolutely fearless. Now let me explain to you why I can see that here in this passage. After what they've just gone through in Philippi, right, if you remember for just a second, there was a devil that was hot on their trail, they were beaten for the message that they preached. They were imprisoned and they were threatened. That was their last stop in Macedonia. Now I would think, in, in my perspective, that that would, that would in some way garner a little bit of respite. Like I would think that after, after a situation like the one I just faced in Philippi, that I deserved a little bit of me time. Like just a little bit of downtime, go hang out on the beach, spend a few, a few days recovering from what I've just been through, and then we'll, once we've recouped a little bit, we'll head to the next place and we'll do exactly, once we've, got our, we've done our thing, we'll do God's thing again. We'll just, we just need some time. But instead, with Paul and Silas's black uh, backs still bloodied and wet from the beating that they just took, they hit the road and they head to the next place 
now, now listen to me. Thessalonica is a, is, is a city just like Philippi. There's no reason to believe that things aren't going to go just the way they went in Philippi. There's no reason to assume that things are going to be any easier there. In fact, what they should anticipate is that things are going to be exactly the same. And yet, despite that fact, they hit the road and they go. Now, this has become kind of, this has become kind of the passage that we've looked to over and over again in Acts. But Acts 15.26 describes what, what kind of men these were. And this is the type of men and women that we ought to be if we're going to have an impact on the world in which we live. Acts 15.26 says, These are men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the type of character they have. It's a character of courage. Here's our first key point. If we're going to turn the world upside down, we need faith that produces grit. We need the experiences alongside the faith that produces a confidence and a swagger in our, in our Lord Jesus Christ that says, regardless of what happens to me, so be it. I love you, Lord, and I will serve you with everything I have. Now, that's a unique type of person. And not many of us are that way. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, how does one go about getting that kind of courage? I mean, that's what I'm asking myself. How do I get that kind of courage? Because it's not natural within me to want to give my life for Jesus Christ. You know, uh, my son, Shepard, learned how to ride a bike. It was probably a couple years ago now. And um, I don't know if you remember when you learned to ride a bike. But once you got it, it was like the only thing you ever wanted to do was ride a bike. Right? He loves it. He absolutely loves to ride his bike. You know, the, you know, the wind on his face. And when you're a little kid, it's just like you feel giddy when you're riding a bike. Now, it took a while, uh, but eventually Shepard fell off of his bike. Right? You know, like everybody has that experience where you like, you get kind of cocky and you don't think, you know, things are so much fun that you're not thinking about getting hurt. And eventually you do. Now, over time, uh, Shepard's fallen down many, many, many times. This, in fact, this last week, I, I was going to include a picture, and I realized it was probably gross to have a close-up of, of Shepard's knee, like all scabbed up and bruised. But this last week, he fell down on his bike. I got a text from my mom. Shepard fell down. I think he's okay. It doesn't seem like anything's broken, but he should probably just take it easy. Okay? Now, at this point in my fatherhood, kids fall down. It's like, okay. If you say he's fine, he's fine. I've got stuff to do. <laughs> An hour later, I got a text message from her that said, well, he's back on his bike and he's riding again, so he must be cool. He must be fine. But I want to point something out to you, that this is actually how spiritual courage is developed as well. See, my son was so preoccupied with the joy of riding his bike that getting hurt and, and facing suffering and pain was a very little consequence to him. And that's how courage is developed in the believer as well. You are going to face pain and suffering in your walk. And if you're living out the Great Commission, if, if the, the Great Commission is a reality in your life, and you live it, and you breathe it, and it's, it's, it's exciting to you, 
and it brings you joy. Listen to me. It's only a matter of time before your experiences and your circumstances result in pain and suffering. You're going to have hardship. See, what produces grit is that experience alongside whether or not you're going to believe Jesus Christ has got your back. When those experiences come, are you going to get back on the bike and live in the joy of Jesus Christ knowing that he's with you? Now see, courage just doesn't, Christian courage just doesn't come out of nowhere. Because we already know that most of the Christians in the world today, especially in America, find their pleasure in sitting in a pew. And they're, they're busy making, convincing themselves that this is what Christianity is about and isn't this a good time? It's like when you went to Worlds of Fun with your friends and they wanted to ride all of the, the lame rides and you'd already graduated to like the most awesome rides at the park and you were constantly getting on the, in line for the Mamba and they're still over there at like, it's Snoopy land. <laughs> and that's where, they're, that's where they're hanging out and you're like, you're in line for like the most exciting ride. Once you've done that, there's no going back. The question is, when things go wrong, are you going to get back on your horse and ride? I didn't, was that a Kid Rock reference? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't mean to. Listen to me. Very, listen very carefully. It is impossible for a person to serve God fully until the, until the limits of his surrender have been fully Tested. And, and I think principally we can see this in Scripture. The further your pain limits are tested, the more potential you have in terms of faith. A.W. Tozer says, It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Psalm 66, 8 says, O bless our God, ye people, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, which holdeth our soul in life and suffereth not our feet to be moved. Listen to this. For thou, O God, hast proved us. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Thou brought us into the net. Thou laidest affliction upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to, uh, to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but thou broughtest us unto a wealthy place. See, pain plus faith produces spiritual grit necessary to see the world turned upside down. So, so here, here's the point. Listen to me. We've got to have courage, and that courage only comes by faith in the midst of hardship. And so when you're down and you're out and you're in a, you're in a dark place, if you don't know how to rebound with, uh, with praise and with prayer and with joy in the midst of suffering, then you're never going to have that spiritual grit to have an impact on the world necessary. Necessary to go, to go to places like Thessalonica, to, to go wherever the mission takes you. Do you understand? Two, we need a course of action. We need a course of action. We find here that the kind of person that turns the world upside down has an agenda and a vision for their life. Acts 17.1 says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis, now I want to point this out to you real quick, the distance between Philippi and Amphipolis was about 30 miles. 
and they were most likely walking this distance. And so this was probably about a day's journey, depending on how healthy they were. They weren't that healthy. So I would imagine that, 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 that to get to Amphipolis would have taken them about a day of walking. Okay? Now, the distance between Amphipolis and Apollonia was another 30 miles. And then from Apollonia to Thessalonica, another 35 or so. In other words, they tra traveled something like 95 miles of walking to get from Philippi to Thessalonica. Now, along the way, they had to pass these other cities. And the question for me is, why didn't they stop? Why didn't they stop in these other cities and preach the gospel? Certainly, there were people there that did not know Christ that needed this message as well. Right? Why didn't they stop off and just take some time to preach the gospel a little bit? It looks as though they were, just, they were on a mission to get to where they needed to go, and they just passed these other places by. And the reason that they did that is not because they're heartless. It's because they had purpose and a plan. They had an agenda. Now, as we know from, from other previous chapters, that Paul had it set in his mind that the best place to start in any city was a synagogue. And those other cities, they didn't have synagogues. And we know that Paul made a habit of going to, to the largest cities that he could find. He spent a lot of time preaching the gospel in large urban centers where there was a lot of influence and there was a lot of spiritualism. He liked to spend time there. Why? Why? Because that was his plan. That was the plan that God had given him. Paul and Silas knew that they couldn't meet every single need in every single city. They knew that. So they, they had made hard decisions based on personal convictions and the leading of the Holy Spirit to go to certain places. Now you guys know in ministry, you can't meet every need. You know that, right? Like every crazy idea about how to reach the loss that enters your mind, you know you can't, you can't, you can't do that. Every creative idea you have about reaching the loss, you can't do all of those things. You've got to pick and choose. And you've got to do that based on personal conviction and where the Lord is leading you. And along the way, there's things that you're going to have to trust. The Lord is going to get done through someone else. And you're going to have to move on and live out the agenda that God has given you. Now, we know from, from Acts chapter 16 that sometimes you have a plan and God moves and shifts that plan based on his desire. And the Holy Spirit is sometimes going to visit you and he's going to make it clear to you that you're supposed to do something that falls outside of, that, outside of your, your, your purview. Right? Paul wanted to go to Asia. God said, no, you're, you're going to go to Macedonia. And once that was made clear, he lived within that agenda. But the point is, is that you need to have a plan. A plan. Key point number two, if we're going to turn the world upside down, we must have a personal plan, an agenda. Now, especially in the midst of COVID, I think all of us are learning that. That we have to be very, very strategic in the way that we approach the lost. It's not as easy as it was a year ago, right? When the campuses were open and international students were pouring into our country and into our city 
and we had the freedom to kind of go and do whatever we wanted to do without scrutiny, things were a little bit easier then. Okay, but things are harder now. Now we could sit around and we could complain about that, or we could re-strategize and create a plan to reach every single lost person in our city. And I need a plan, and you need a plan, and we, Kaya, and MBT need a plan. We need a strategy. We have to be intentional. We have to find other ways. Now, here's a warning to you as young people, okay? As you get older, all right, as you get older, you're going to find it more difficult to get to the lost. You're going to get a, a, a job, and it's going to have some security, and you're going to like your job. You're going to like the paycheck. But your sphere of influence is going to shrink. And there's going to come points in your life where you're going to look around at the people at your workplace and you say, I've witnessed to every one of these scumbags. Not a single one of them has come to Christ. <laughs> what is the deal? What's the deal? I did Bible study with Frank for six months and then he, he got a new girlfriend. And then, you know, you're going to have all these stories about the people that you tried to share Christ with. And, 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 and you, you met, were met with roadblocks, Okay. And no one's, gonna, no one's saying that those roadblocks aren't going to get blown up. But what I'm telling you is this. Is as you get older, your ability to find the, the lost and to get to the lost is going to be harder and harder. And you're going to need an agenda, a plan, a strategy to go where the fish are biting. The Word of God teaches us that we are supposed to, we are supposed to do the work of an evangelist. And that doesn't come with any sort of excuse. In fact, what that tells us in that passage is it says that first of all, we're going to face suffering. And oh, by the way, in the midst of your suffering, you need to do the work of an evangelist. That's exactly what the passage says. And so if we're going to live that way, then we need to be strategic about how God's going to use us. So if not here, then where? What's your plan? What's your strategy? When I, uh, you know, for 10 years I was a high school teacher and I preached the gospel to high school students almost every single day. Like I can honestly say that. That was what God gave me to do. Now the beautiful thing about teaching in high school was every semester I had a new group of 120 students that came to my classroom. I never ran out of lost souls. It was so easy. It was so awesome. Okay, Mitch used to say it's like fishing in a barrel. Who can't fish in a barrel, right? You got a barrel full of fish. You just reach in, you grab them. Right? But now that I am full-time on staff here at the church, and I do believe that God's called me to do this and to have an influence in a, in a slightly different way, right? My job now is to train leaders. Here's the deal. I cannot, I cannot neglect the fact that God's called me to be an evangelist. It eats me up. Like, in, in every day that I don't get exposed to lost people, it kind of drives me insane. It, it genuinely does. And before COVID, my thing was like, okay, well, how does God use me at the Art Institute? And so I was trying to figure out ways to be on campus and to get to know people. And, and, and God was start, there was some momentum at the Art Institute, praise God. But my job is always to be an evangelist. And at what point do I get to make an excuse? Well, I've got a desk job now, and I'm surrounded by Christians, and it's awesome. I mean, that's the thing, is that you can fall prey to that. You can come to a place where you're like, man, church is great. I'm doing ministry. And your plan and your strategy to reach the lost just completely dissipates before your eyes. You don't even know that it's happened to you because you're having such a good time serving the Lord. Don't ever be that type of Christian. 
The mission can't afford that. Be like Paul and Silas. Have a plan. And, and, and when you're fishing, if nothing's biting, well, guess what? There's plenty of body of waters to go fishing. And so here's real quick, just briefly, I want to suggest this. If ministry on campus is hard this fall, well, then you need to get real, real familiar with your local coffee shop. Or you need to start going, you know how many people are at the parks nowadays? You need to go to the park. And you need to meet lost people. Don't ever come to a place where you look around and you say, man, how come all of the people that I'm rubbing elbows with are Christians? Don't ever come to that place. Go find the lost. Have a strategy. Have an approach for your personal life. And then guess what? We're going to have one as a church. We have a personal strategy as a ministry. And our personal strategy is Bible studies. And we're going to invite people to study the Bible one-on-one and in small groups. And, and God has used that I mean, look around. God is using that, and God has used that, and we're going to continue to work that vision, but you need to have a personal one as well. Are you with me? Next, we need a clear message. It's got to be clear. Got to be clear. If If you're confusing with your message... Or if you've got a false message, if you've got some sort of personal agenda, we're in danger of not actually preaching. You understand? Let's look. Let's look here. Verse 2. And Paul, as his manner was, in other words, he had a plan. He had a way of doing things. He had a methodology. You understand? And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Okay, first of all, it says he reasoned out of the scripture. He set forth the facts from God's word. He had an authority. And and he knew his authority so well. He was so familiar with it. It was very easy for him to present the facts of scripture in a linear way that the Greeks could understand the people could listen and they say, hey, I, that makes sense to me. That is a reasonable presentation of the information. He had the ability to do that. Key point number three. If we're going to turn the world upside down, we have to be biblically prepared and practiced. We have to be biblically prepared and practiced. You know, Paul had the ability to present a clear and reasonable explanation of what the Word of God says. And he could prove it. He could prove it. He had evidence. And he could present it in a way that made sense to the hearer. Now the question is, can you do that? Can you do that? Is your ability to handle God's Word actually convincing? Or are you like the majority of Christians who believe what they believe because they got a funny, tingly feeling at one point? And they've been riding that little feeling for their entire Christianity. And their depth and their knowledge is as shallow as the baby's pool. And somehow, I don't know how they do it, 
but they claim the faith their entire lives and all they are is pew sitters. Or are you going to be like that? Or are you going to mine the depths of this book so that no matter who you're talking to, you can present a reasonable and clear presentation for why you believe this book and why you have the joy that's within you. Well, why are you different? Oh, well, let me explain. Let me explain to you from God's word why I'm different. Can you do that? 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So where are you in terms of your path of growth? Where are you in terms of your path of growth? You know that chart that's out in the, in the lobby? If you haven't seen it yet, you ought to go look. This is exactly, Chris spent time in his message addressing this. Listen, we've got to get trained. When we talk about discipleship in America, when we hear Francis Chan talk about discipleship, we can walk away from 30 minutes of that guy talking about discipleship, and I could say to myself, man, that sounds real good. But how do you do that? How do you become a disciple of Jesus Christ? I'm still, it's still unclear. It's a little bit fuzzy. What is it I'm supposed to do? Just be zealous or something or like go to church regularly or be in my Sunday school class? How do I do that? No, 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 listen to me. We've got a clear path of growth. And it begins by being mentored. Now, where did that come from? Oh, I don't know. The Bible? As Paul invested in Timothy, as Paul invested in Titus, as Paul invested in Silas, as Paul invested in men, we see a picture unfold of one person passing on the truth of God's word and life to another person that they might also become missions-minded and that they might live a radical Christianity. That's what we see in Scripture. And so around here, we've just found a basic, a simple way of making sure that that happens within our culture, within our time period, within this city. That's what we do. We invest biblical discipleship, simple truths from God's word. Let me walk through life with you. Let me invest some time and energy in you. Let's pray together. Let's live life together. And as we go, I want to teach you how the word of God is not just some sort of abstract, willy-nilly, fuzzy-feeling thing. It's real, and you can live it out. Let me show you how to do that. Let me show you how. And many of us in this room can attest to the power of that. I know that I was that type of Christian that for a long time I loved Jesus Christ with all that I had. But but the reality of my faith just seemed a little bit empty. Where am I going and what am I doing? And then one day I had someone come up to me and say, hey, have you considered discipleship? And I didn't really even know what that meant. And I said, yes. I was like, yeah, yes, discipleship. I've considered it. I'm considering it. Seems like a very good program (laughs) that you have here. But then when I committed to it, it literally turned my world upside down. And so how are you going to turn someone else's life upside down unless your life hasn't first been turned upside down in God's word? We need that first. So Paul had the ability to handle God's word and present a reasonable presentation of the gospel. Can you? Now, beyond that, it says that he 
he was opening it and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus, whom I preached unto you, is Christ. So first of all, it says opening, which means revealing. And I love the fact that you can actually just open your Bible and when it's opened, things get revealed. And when you have the ability to point, more things get revealed, more specific things get revealed. When I have the knowledge and the understanding to do that, I have the ability to reveal truth in a plain way to other people. Now, beyond that, he made allegations, didn't he? Right? He made allegations. He said things. He was motivated to say things that would have sounded like crazy declarations in the ears of the people that were hearing it. And this is what he was saying. There was a guy who was God, and he came to earth, and he lived a perfect life. And he died, and he rose again to set you free from your sins. That was the allegation that he made. Is that there was this man, Jesus, and he was the very Christ. And he can set you free. See, he had the ability to make, to make truth plain. But listen to me, he went beyond that. He kept the main thing the main thing. He kept the main thing, the main thing. I mean, what are Christians talking about today? They're not making the main thing the main thing. They would rather meet someone at the coffee shop and and get into a political conversation about this or that than share the gospel. They're more comfortable talking about their politics than about their faith. It's so bizarre. They'd much rather debate, I don't know, almost anything than to sit down and make true and plain allegations about who Jesus Christ was. See, Paul was having these conversations, and he was opening the word, and he was presenting these truths, but he was always always making a beeline to Christ. You know, he might be out here talking about things from the old, he might have a room full of Jewish people, and he could be talking about the synagogue, and he could be talking about Moses and Abraham, and he could be talking about all these things, but the point was always to get to Jesus. His death, his burial, his resurrection, he is the one, and outside of him there is no hope. Please believe on him. That was his plan. That was his agenda, and that's why he made the allegations that he did. Do you know how to do that? I mean, there was once upon a time, a lot of us are in this place. I'm not, I'm not condemning you. That, that what we, we thought our job was to do is to like meet lost people and then as quickly as possible get them to Bible study or get them to church and then let someone else do the presenting because that seems hard. And uh, outside of just a few verses, I don't know what to do. Listen to me. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to share your testimony of what Jesus Christ did in your life. Don't be afraid to use those three or four verses you know real well. Don't be afraid to use those. You bust out, you bust out Romans 3.23. You bust it out. You, you get out Romans 5.12. You go to Romans chapter. You do what you need to do. Do not be afraid to share the truth of Jesus Christ. Be a fool for his namesake. But listen, get trained so that you get better and better and more and more proficient at that. Once upon a time, Timothy didn't know a whole lot. And then once upon a time, he did. That took training. That took commitment. 
Sign up for discipleship. Sign up for D2. Sign up for LFBI. What's next? How do I grow? And then how can I trust God to use that in my life to see the world changed? Key point number four. If we're going to turn the world upside down, Christ must be the main point. Okay? Christ must be the main point. Not, not your church philosophy. You know, not... not uh, opinions about Bible translations. If you let that muddy the waters, you're in trouble. Okay? Don't, don't sit down with somebody and explain. You don't need to explain to anybody why we're, our church name is Baptist. Don't, get, don't, don't get, let the water get muddled and mingled with things that aren't important. You point them to Christ. Yeah? Okay. I'm doing this. Number four, create conflict. But I thought Christians were supposed to live peaceably in the sight of all men. You are. Hear me out. And some of them believed and and consorted with Paul and Silas and the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, which is one of the greatest phrases in all of Scripture. Lewd fellows of the baser sort. Okay, this is the, the rabble-rousers, the street urchins, guys hanging around outside the pub, you know? Okay, they employed these men. And gathered a company and set, uh, uh, set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason, which is where at this time Paul and Silas were staying, and sought to bring them out to the people. So some people believed, particularly the Greeks, and some didn't. Now we have to understand something. That the thing that divided the people in Thessalonica was the name of Jesus. We know that because that was what was preached. It wasn't anything else. It wasn't anybody's opinions or thoughts about this or that. Or blah, blah, blah. It was Jesus. It was the name of Jesus. And this is what we know. Is that the name of Jesus always divides. And there's no way around that. The name of Jesus always divides. Now he makes this clear in Matthew chapter 10 verse 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. You know, the, the, the peaceful Jesus, the lowly Jesus. It says he came to bring a sword. Why? For I'm come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter, against her mother and the daughter-in-law, against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. By its very nature, the gospel draws lines. Lines between death and life, doesn't it? Lines between flesh and spirit. 
lines between heaven and hell. God divides the world between two types of people, those with Jesus and those without Jesus. He says, I don't even see race. I don't even see ethnicity. I don't even see nations. I see the lost and I see the saved. When a person decides to follow Christ, division will ensue. Divisions among friends, among families, lifestyles, purposes. The gospel divides. And you have to learn to anticipate that. We have to make the same decision that Paul and Silas made. We have to. See, Paul and Silas knew that everywhere they went, their words would create division among the people. They knew that. And the question for us is, can we handle doing that? We're so afraid of being canceled. Like, for real. Like, we're so afraid of being shamed that we keep our freaking mouths shut At what point are you going to decide that you're okay with being shamed? With dividing a crowd? Dividing your peer group? Dividing your household? Mom and dad don't necessarily have to like it. Now you're going to prove it to them. Over time, you're going to prove that your Jesus is the true God. But they don't have to like that. Key point number five, if we're going to turn the world upside down, we must be okay with conflict. we got to be okay with it. You know, I'm not suggesting that it's our responsibility to purposely cause people to be angry or forcefully assert ourselves in a way that promotes rejection. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that if you choose to speak up, if you choose to speak up, then you will choose to associate yourself with the most divisive message in the history of mankind. It's no light thing. It's no light thing that you do. It's no light thing that you speak. You speak the most divisive message of all time. And it produces controversy everywhere it goes. People despise it. And they will despise you. And if you decide to preach a clear gospel, a a, a Jesus-centered message, then you've decided to be okay with people spurning you. You've decided that. We're going to stop here. We've got one more thing. Uh, that is necessary for turning the world upside down. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Sorry to leave you hanging. It's a limited amount of time. I usually do really okay with this time slot, but uh, it it's, it's, feels a little tight today, so we're going to hit pause. Do you want to be the type of person that impacts the world? If you want people to know the gospel message, then it's going to require decisions on your part. It's going to require you getting serious about the book. It's going to require you being courageous in the fight, uh, in, in the midst of the fight. It's going, to, it's going to require of you to be okay with conflict and controversy surrounding you. People are going to divorce themselves from you. You've got to be okay with that. The thing is, either it's worth it or it's not. Either it's worth it or it's not. Either Jesus is your everything or there's other things. You have to make that decision. But for me, I want to freaking mess this world up. Because if I look around, it ain't much of a world to begin with. I have no problem unsettling it. 
Jesus is the better way. And I know that. I carry that. Hide it under a bushel? Let's make some decisions that will result in impacting our world. If you've got a decision to make today, come forward. There'll be counselors up here. Okay, we're out of time. We're going to play a song of worship. And we want to ask that if you've got something on your heart, that you come and you address that this morning. Will you do that? Like if you're, if you're really troubled, like if there's something that you know you need to deal with, if you know you're not the type of person that can be used to impact the world, maybe there's something there worth dealing with. Let's make those decisions right now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we know, we know that these are troubled days. But we, but we do, we want, to, to, we want to, to live in a way that shows who you are. And if we're going to do that, we've got to be courageous and we have to be unafraid and we have to be steeped in your word and we have to be built up and prepared and we have to be okay with the con- conflict and the controversies that are going to surround that. And if any of us are half-stepping this morning, if any of us are saying, yeah, but, 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 I'm just not sure about, maybe there's something that they're afraid to lose. Maybe it's a friend or a relationship. Maybe they're afraid to be radical in their faith. Lord, please help them to work through that this morning. Provoke them. Lord, give them the strength to lay those things down. Help us, God. We pray for your help. We can't do this without your grace and your mercy. We pray for your help and your empowerment. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.